This is Radiance Festival tape number FS76J, recorded on May 30th of Memorial Day weekend at the 1976 Festival of the Sun in Petaluma, California. This tape presents Jim Durkin with a message entitled, Activists for Christ. Now, I wonder if you just bow your heads with me in a word of prayer, please. Precious Heavenly Father, Lord, you have revealed yourself to us as God. You've opened the eyes of our understanding. And Lord, we have beheld you in Jesus. And though we have not seen you in all of your magnificence and beauty because our own eyes are dim, yet, Lord, through a glass darkly and from glory to glory as it's being revealed to us, we see ever more clearly. And Father, we're thankful that once again you brought us together. No, oh Lord, this is like a prototype to our own hearts of that great gathering that's going on throughout the earth as your people are truly beginning to see themselves as your family, undivided, unbroken. We truly are one, Lord. You have made us that way in Jesus Christ. And even though our minds be dull of understanding, even though sometimes we cannot grasp it and we become weary and waiting, you told us not to be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And so, Lord, we believe that you are here continuing this great work of bringing our hearts together, not only with each other that are here, but also over the whole earth, Lord, until one church, knowing its mission and its work, shall with one voice proclaim the glory of God as it is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And you'll be glorified thereby, and the world shall know that you have sent Jesus into this world. Now, Father, I ask that you bless to these people your truth, Lord. This has come forth throughout this entire meeting, and anything, Lord, that you may give me to say. Grant that, Father. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I cannot tell you how much I have appreciated the opportunity that the Lord gave me today to have a blessed privilege of hearts being knitted together. Such gracious men. God sent to us, not only those that I'm able to see again from times past, but I think I want to especially single out such brothers as Bob Mumford and Ern Baxter, Scott Ross, Clyde Martin, who went out of their way to come and be with us, not because they have any personal axe to grind, but simply because they have a deep and abiding burden to see the body of Christ truly be manifested as one. They know in their hearts that it is one, and they're laboring and ministering everywhere that it can be a manifested oneness that the world can see. And I just appreciate the heart that these men have. I pray that God make it possible that 
I personally can have a greater and greater relationship with these men because I think it is necessary that God's people from whatever part of the body he's called us mainly to work in or work with, that even here there become no lines that, well, this is this kind of person and this is this kind of person. There's no such thing in the heart and mind of God. We're just the family of God, the people of God. We've been saved through one sacrifice, through the work of one Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, the shedding of one blood to produce one people, the people of God. And I know, I know of a certainty that we are going to see, and I believe you, if not myself personally, but I believe myself too, and I heard what Brother Baxter said, that he would see it in his lifetime. And I believe that could well be that we're going to see this thing take place in this earth. Oh, yes. And we're going to see our Lord Jesus glorified to the utter limits. Now, what's on my heart is something that God has been doing in my heart recently. For a long time, I have been aware of what I would call warfare. I was aware of it because the Word of God revealed it to me. I was aware of it because at times I had felt the wounds and the attacks and the drive of the enemy to either drive me off balance or to break me completely. And I've learned over the years that the only thing that has preserved me has not been my own cleverness, has not been my knowledge of the Word of God, has not been a determination on my part to stand true to Jesus, though that is there. But the only thing that has preserved me has been God's grace, which continues to work in my life and continues to be manifested in my life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I have no confidence in my flesh or your flesh or any flesh that any of us would ever stand true to the Lord for a moment if it were not for the constant careful vigilance of God's Spirit watching over our lives. If I were not aware because of the revelation of the Word of God that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for me, I would have no hope for any of us at all. But because of that revelation that His Spirit is given to me, given to you, to live within us, to abide with us, to be with us forever, that I am sealed by that same Holy Spirit that our Lord Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us, that God has ordained. If that revelation were not real to me, I would have no hope at all as I look and see the things which are coming upon the earth. But I know, I know from the revelation of God's Word 
that what Jesus wrought 2,000 years ago, what has been sealed by the coming of the Holy Spirit, that of all hell breaks loose on this earth, when it's all finished, what will be left is the saints of God moving through the earth, proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, that Jesus and Jesus alone is Lord, and all of the other forces of the earth will be overthrown, and the mountain of the Lord shall be established forever. See, I know that. Hallelujah. Now, I also know that listening tonight, somewhere in the heavenlies, are forces. I know that the angels are listening. I know that God hears us. I know that the Spirit is in our midst. But I also know that hellish forces are looking down on this gathering and saying, what is this thing? Well, what this is, is a gathering of people that were once blown out, messed up, wandering about the earth, not knowing whether they were coming or going, insane. How many of you knew you were insane? Did you know that? Can I see your hand? Yes. The Bible said that God has not given to us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Now, do you know what that means I had before I came to the Lord Jesus? An unsound mind, filled with fear, lacking in love, wandering about the earth, a vagabond with no place to lay my head in reality, for I could find no rest anywhere. And then Jesus came into my life and changed me, healed me, nursed me, cradled me, fed me, caused me to grow and then one day said, now go proclaim to the world that which I have done for you. I know that that's what God is doing for you. I know that many of you, because I've dealt with many personally, have come to me insane, filled with fear, all hope gone, wondering what was next, filled with cynicism, 15, 18, 20, 22 years of age, and already old and dead. And then heard the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and their whole lives were transformed. Now, I know that God has nursed you. I know that the Spirit has cradled you. I know that you have been fed through the work of godly elders that God has given you, and apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers that God is raising up, and they have faithfully ministered that Word which has been given to them, and you have been fed by that Word, and now you are growing strong, no longer children, no longer blown about by every wind of doctrine and tossed to and fro, by cunning men who with crafty words of deceit would send you and delude you. But your lives are becoming rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ, and you know what this book teaches. Now do you know why the word of that truth is given to you? 
because you are being raised up, first of all, as little babes in Christ, then young men and young women in the Lord Jesus, and finally, if you can understand it, like a little child plays war games or a girl plays this kind of game and a boy plays that kind of game according to what their parents teach them, I want you to know that the church is hearing words like this, war, warfare, struggle, victory, deliverance, prison, opening the doors of the prison house, taking captives free. These are the words we're beginning to hear. Maybe we can't put it all together yet. But we're hearing words like that and saying, what are these words and what do they mean? I listened to our brother Baxter, minister tonight. He speaks about a victorious army marching through the earth. He speaks about a victorious Christ. These are things I know to be the Word of God. I know to be truth. This gospel of the kingdom, this gospel, this good news, which our Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, buried, raised again, ascended, sat down at the right hand of God, is not to be a gospel which will go out of this earth by a group of people that are sneaking out, defeated, ruined, and destroyed while the earth is turned over to the devil. This gospel, this glorious good news, before it is finished, will go into every nation of the earth. There will not be a soul on it that has not heard the gospel of our Lord Jesus. It will be published in every nation for a witness, and then shall the end come. And it will not be a weak gospel that is published. It will be a gospel of power that is confirmed with signs following, and the world will see not a splintered and dividing church warring against itself, but a united church preaching the gospel, the same mind, the same heart, the same word, and our Lord Jesus Christ confirming that gospel with signs following. But that will not come easily. I tell you tonight, and I'd like you to stop just where you are. I'd like those hellish forces that are listening to get an ear fill. I'd like you to stop right where you are, because they're wondering what kind of a group this is, although they already know. But as insane as they are, I don't know if they already know. See, you look like one thing and you sound like something else. If they look and see the beards, they might say, maybe they're hippies. I made that mistake one time group of people were sitting in the little church I had up in Eureka, and I said, how many straight people here? And a number of them raised their hand. I said, how many hippies here? Nobody raised their hand. And here they were all sitting there, beards and funny clothes on and so forth and so on. And I stood there looking kind of dumbfounded. I thought that was a pretty fantastic preacher deal, you know. How many straights here? We are. How many hippies? We are. Someone said, we're not hippies. We're Christians. Felt like diving behind the pulpit and disappearing for a while. Amen. They realized they had been transformed by the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'd like you to tell whoever is listening that you believe that Jesus is Lord. Amen? Amen.
Will you say it with me? Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. Now, with that in mind, in the book of Timothy we read these words. Maybe it's a little too hard out there for you to follow along, but I'm sure that you know the Scriptures in any event. Paul told Timothy in the second chapter of 1 Timothy, First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all that are in authority. I don't think the Lord told us to do something here that had no meaning. I believe that you, if you can understand it, and will practice it, will continue pursuing it until it becomes so rooted and grounded in your spirit that it's divine reality for you, I believe you will understand that you're just not a little Christian setting in a little city and not able to do very much. My prayer for you is that you would realize from these Scriptures that you are called upon by God to alter the course of history itself. That you are a kingdom far more powerful than all the kingdoms that have ever existed upon this earth put together. That you are a nation not like you may name an earthly nation, but you are a nation and your citizenship is in heaven. You are a nation that has a king. You are a nation that has been sent by this king as an ambassador to a world that does not know that king. They may have heard of him, but they do not know him. It is the intent of God that that world, this world on which we live, in which we are all, if you will hear it, foreign missionaries. See, sometimes we, we put this thing down and we think if somebody goes over to a foreign country, they're a foreign missionary. If they stay in this country, they're a home missionary. I want you to know there's no such thing in the kingdom of God as foreign missions and home missions. We're all foreign missionaries because our citizenship is in heaven where also we look for our Savior to come from. But we are sent by God to this world, this planet. We have been born again. We have the same carcass on the outside, but I want you to know the same guy isn't on the inside as used to be there. And I have been commissioned by that king to go to this world and introduce as many as I possibly can to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now that's my task, and that's your task. But Satan, who is constantly working on my mind, would like me to believe that I have no possibility of seeing that task fulfilled. But I know from the Word of God that not only do I have the possibility of seeing it fulfilled, but it is going to be fulfilled, and this gospel is going to be preached in all the world. And nothing can stop that from taking place. Now, the Bible says then to us, here we are, we're listening, not to the words of Paul, not to the words of Ezekiel, 
not to the words of Jeremiah, but as it is in truth, the Word of God, speaking through these men or speaking to these men. The Bible says the Spirit of God comes upon these men, and they spoke to us. Now, these were unique men, called of God to write what is called the Word of God, and here we have it. But if you somehow were able to go directly to God and say, I want a special word for my life, and He were to give you that special word for your life, if you were to say, I desire special teaching, and He were to give it to you, when you finished hearing that special teaching, if you had read the Bible, you'd say, I heard that someplace before. Where you would have heard it is from the Word of God, which is a complete and a total revelation of the purpose and mind and heart of God as far as concerns this life. Now, this eternal God then says to us, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. Well, why should I pray for all men? They're not all going to be saved. Or so it goes. Why should I pray for people I don't even know when I have so many people I do know and they need prayer? Why should I? The reason is that if I believe this is the Word of God, this is what this book is telling me to do. And I must begin to practice the teaching of my eternal Father. He says, Jim... I want you to offer up entreaties. I want you to offer up prayers. I want you to offer up petitions and thanksgiving. And I want you to do it on behalf of all men. Lord, I want a special teaching. Then there it is. That's a special teaching for you. Thank you, Lord. But I read that someplace. That's right. But that's not all. I want you to pray for kings and all who are in authority. Pray for Russian rulers. Pray for Chinese rulers. Pray for South American rulers. Pray for Asiatic rulers. Pray for American rulers. Pray for all that are in authority. Governors, satraps, aldermen. Why? Because if we don't do this, the evident intent of Scripture is that the thing that God wants to take place may not take place and probably won't take place. What it says is pray for all that are in authority in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now I tell you what God is saying here is a different way of saying what it says in the Proverbs, that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it whithersoever he will. And I think a good many Christians are receiving improper treatment. The gospel is being hindered improperly. You see, persecution is no hindrance to the gospel, but there are certain types of interference that are a hindrance to the gospel. And that's the type of hindrance that comes to us because we don't do what the Word of God tells us to do. 
And the Bible tells us that we should pray for all men and for kings and rulers and all that are in authority in order that we may lead a godly and peaceable life with all tranquility and dignity. I think God wants us to take such an attitude of intercession, and I'll deal with a whole range of this business of principalities and powers and rulers. I believe from the Word of God that we are able by prayer and by intercession to literally turn the heart of kings around so that they literally will open the doors though they may not believe one word of the gospel. They literally will be taken by God because the Bible says the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he turns it whithersoever he will. And he is saying to us that if we believe his word and we begin to do what he tells us to do, that we literally can take those kings which are bringing all kinds of pressure to bear and saying we're not going to let any Christians in this country and we're going to drive out the ones that are in this country and we're going to do this and that and the other thing. We are able, by doing what God tells us to do, to literally turn the heart of those kings around until they're literally, even against their own will, say, I don't know why I'm doing this, but it's all right for you now to come in here and preach the gospel. Then down through the ages, mighty men of God have been recorded in history as being nation-changing men of God and women of God. These men realized that their prayers, their petitions, their intercessions, their groanings, which sometimes were so deep in their spirit that they were not even able to utter them with words, but they could only groan because that's what the Spirit who was in them did, feeling the burden of God, putting that burden in them, and they cried out to God not with words which could be understood, nor did they speak in tongues. They could only say, Oh! Oh! But God, who knows the mind of the Spirit, interpreted it rightly and changed the course of history. Because those men understood that God hears prayer. That God has committed to us the work of intercession. That we are not merely a body of helpless people waiting for a rapture or waiting for a tribulation or waiting for the return of the Lord and we're just kind of milling around here from convention to convention or church service to church service. But God put us here to change the course of history. God put us here to see that the gospel was preached. God put us here to finish the work which He's given us to do. You see, back in our old life, we might have been classed as activists if we got involved in something. Well, my prayer for you is that you're going to be a Christian gospel activist for the Lord Jesus Christ. See, involved in changing the course of history. Now, some men, realizing that there are forces operating in this world which they couldn't handle. Here Daniel finds himself a prisoner 
He was taken away as a young man, taken away with many of his companions into a foreign land. Now, Israel had much experience with this because in much of their history, they rose to a great height in God and then they sinned and God brought them into captivity. And they understood that captivity would be the result of their sin. They understood that. And so many times they found themselves in captivity and then they would cry out to God and He would raise up a deliverer and they would be delivered. That crying out to God was an important part of that deliverance, however. And then they would forget God and they would sin again and they would go back into captivity. You see, the Bible says, righteousness exalted a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Well, they understood that. They had these lessons taught to them very strongly by God. And now Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves prisoners in a foreign land along with thousands and thousands of other Israelites. They have seen many slaughtered at the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Here this was a young man, Daniel, when he came to the land. And then in the part that I want to tell you about, he's an old man. He's lived nearly all of his life in Babylon. He's had ups and downs and glorious experiences and some pretty harsh experiences. He's been put in lion's dens. He's been lifted up by kings and deposed by kings. He's been ridiculed, made fun of, and he's been lauded by others. And all of this has gotten to the place where it means nothing to him. He goes on with his work of crying out to God continually. The Bible speaks of him as one of the three great intercessors that stand before God. Well, I believe there can be many great intercessors in our day and time because Jesus has opened the door into the Holy of Holies. That is for sure. And here, this man Daniel said that he understood by books, the book of Jeremiah, that God would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Babylon. Now, I don't know why he couldn't have understood that before. It seems perfectly clear to me now. But it wasn't clear to him then. And that's the way prophecy is. It isn't clear till it's clear. And many people interpret prophecy and they got all the answers for it. Tell you something. If all of those answers were put down in one book and compared, we'd see how impossible it is to know what prophecy is about till God's ready to tell us what it is. And here's this man who waited on God continuously. And finally, I say, I can read it now and say, well, I see that. But he didn't see it because God held his eyes from seeing it till it was ready. And then he saw that 70 years, and he counted and said, that time's right upon us now. Now, he might have said, well, I just believe whatever God's made up his mind to do, it's going to happen, so there isn't anything for me to do. And besides, I have a lot of business in the uh, my work and my job and so forth and so on. I'm in a, a big operation here as one of the three chief presidents of Babylon, and I'm the chief and so forth. But no, the Bible says this man... Though he saw it clearly in prophecy that God would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Babylon and that that 70 years was just about up, this great man who understood the power of prayer and understood the power of intercession gets down before God. And he does not pray and say, God, I pray now that you do what you said you would do. See, God is showing me something different about intercession. He's showing me something different if we're going to change the course of history, if we're going to change the mind of kings, if we're going to move governments in such a way that this gospel will go forth. 
if we will see these men bowing to the glory of God like Nebuchadnezzar did. Nebuchadnezzar said, Is this not great Babylon which I have built with for my glory? The Bible says about him whom he would he slew and whom he would he kept alive. He said, No one can stay my hand. He spoke to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he said, If you don't bow down and worship the idol that I put up, I'll throw you into that burning fiery furnace. And he said, Who is that God that will deliver you out of my hand? He believed there was no God as powerful as he was. Oh, here was an arrogant and powerful man. An absolute monarch with absolute power. Whom he would he slew and whom he would he kept alive. Until he threw three Hebrew children into the fiery furnace and said, what's happened here? Did not we throw three men in? How come I see a fourth man and he looks like unto a son of the gods or a son of God? Now then, the marvelous thing is that this brilliant king looks in this burning, fiery furnace at this remarkable sight of four men walking around, and there should have been burned to a crisp. All his soldiers will. And he says, uh, fellas, uh, why don't you come out of there? I never saw any God who could do this. Then he said, I want to tell you, everyone in this land that if anyone makes any fun of the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his house is going to be pulled down and made a dunghill. Now his mind was beginning to change. Here's this powerful monarch, whom he would he slew and whom he would he kept alive, but some he found out he couldn't kill. Wasn't God's time for him. Now then he goes through another thing. He has a dream. He gets the interpretation of that dream. Daniel gives it to him, said, This is not to you, O king, for your good, but for them who hate you. He said, This and this is going to come upon you. Your kingdom will be taken away till seven times pass over you. said, O king, I counsel you to break off your sins by righteousness. It may be that there will be a prolonging of the tranquility of your days. But the king could not hear that. He had to learn some things yet. The results of prayer, and I imagine that plenty of prayer went up in Babylon for King Nebuchadnezzar. Bible says a year later he was walking out on his porch, his portico, and said, Is this not Babylon which I have built for myself? And then a watcher from heaven cried out against him, and his reason left him, and he became like an animal. And his nails became long, and his hair became long, and he crawled over the ground, and they grasped like an oxen till seven times passed over. And then the Bible says, My reason returned unto me. You see, he was insane. But that insanity of seven years was not his insanity. That insanity had been going on for many years. It just broke out in its fullness at that time. Then he said, his reason returned unto him, and I looked up and worshipped and extolled the God of heaven and said, none can resist his hand. Then he said, my brightness returned unto me, and my counselor sought me, and my sovereignty was restored, and my kingdom was given back to me. Now I know, he said. Well, I believe there are many kings in the earth today that are saying exactly the same thing. Whom I will I keep alive, and whom I will I slay, or whom I would I keep out of this country, and whom I will I let in this country, 
or I have power to do this and power to do that. Or some are simply saying, I don't know what to do. I'm at my wit's end. Well, I'll tell you what I see from the Word of God. That just like this man Daniel knew at the end of time, 70 years, Daniel gets down and this is the kind of prayer that he prays. He doesn't say, Oh Lord, deliver us. Or, Oh Lord, get us out of this place. Or, Oh Lord, how come all this has befallen us? This great man of God, whom God points out to us as one of the three who stood before God in intercession, this book points out that this man got down and said, Oh Lord, we have sinned. Who, Daniel? This man who would rather die than defile himself with the king's meat? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who would gladly be thrown in a burning, fiery furnace rather than submit to the king's will and bow down and worship an idol? Said, we do not know if our God will deliver us out of the burning, fiery furnace, but this we do know, that we will not bow down to your gods nor serve your gods, nor bow down to your images. But this we say, though we do not know that He will deliver us out of the burning, fiery furnace, He will deliver us out of your hand. They knew that. And yet, this man, these men, I'm sure, but certainly we see it of this man, bows before God and says, Oh God, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. We have committed trespass. We have failed you. We have not done according to your will. You see, this man of God who could have isolated himself from the common run of the people, do you see this man of God identifying himself with the people? Do you see this man of God becoming one and saying, Oh God, we have sinned and we deserve what you have put upon us. We deserve to be here. It is only by your mercies that we are not consumed. It is only by your grace that we are not consumed. Oh, yes, he understood that he had to identify himself with the people. You see, I know that I was a sinner. I know that my life was a travesty. I know that my life was an abomination. I know that I live wickedly and wantonly. I know that I had no idea of coming to God at all. I know that I set my course to do something that I wanted to do. No better, no worse than four billion other people on the face of this earth. But somehow, through God's grace, and grace alone, it wasn't me that sought after God, it was God that sought after me. It wasn't me that ran panting after God. It was Jesus who came down to this earth and sweat drops of blood and shed His blood in order that the Spirit might be able to come after me. It wasn't God who resisted me and wouldn't let me in the kingdom. It was me who resisted God and didn't want in the kingdom until He wooed me and won me and loved me and cared for me until my foolish, stubborn will was broken and I realized what it meant to be a sinner, what it meant to be a self-centered, self-directed individual. And I fell on my face and said, Oh, merciful God, 
if you can do anything. Save me and make me your child. And He transformed me. Now, do I, 20-some years later, 30, yes. Do I now forget the pit from whence I was digged? Do I forget that except for the grace of God, I would still be walking in those slime pits? Can I now simply say, Oh God, save those miserable wretches out there. Or, Oh God, get that fellow over there. Or, Oh God. Or if I did that, then I would sound like a Pharisee. Or I would sound like one who is pulling my robes around me and say, I thank you, God, that I am righteous. But make no mistake about it, we are righteous because of the blood. We are righteous because of the work that the Spirit has wrought in us. But that is His work, not my work. It is His grace, not my will. It is His glory. And it's my glory to give Him glory. That's the point. Now, do I then forget the pit from whence I was digged? Do I look around this world that I believe is fast coming to judgment? Am I able to look at four billion people which are on the verge of eternal destruction? Am I able to look then at a world which is ruled over by cruel principalities and powers which the Bible tells me our struggle is not against flesh and blood? but against principalities and rulers, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places? Am I to forget that now? Because I'm walking under this covering of the blood? Because I'm walking under this shield of protection of the Holy Spirit? Am I merely to go blithely on my way and say, how tragic that nearly four billion people are in this world and nobody got to them with the gospel? How terrible! I tell you this, my beloved brothers and sisters, if I'm reading what's happening to us in this place of prayer that God has sent us to, if the things that He's revealing to us in the Word of God, if we have any understanding of the Word of God at all, the things that I minister to you tonight, it's simply this. He's calling us to come to a place where even though and of a certainty we live in such a way that our lives are a constant testimony to the grace of God that's working in our lives, we live in such a way that the world can see that we've been transformed. That's the way we walk. That's the way we speak. That's the way we think. But the way we identify, the way we identify, especially when we kneel before God, is to identify with them and their misery. And with them and their shame. And with them and their pain. And with them and their sorrow. And say, oh God, Help us! Oh God, turn the heart of kings around! Oh God, we pray for all men everywhere! Oh God, we know that You would have all men to be saved, and therefore that's our desire also, oh God. Let us identify. This great man Daniel said, Oh God, we have sinned. Oh, God, we have fallen short. Oh, God, oh, he could have identified himself by himself and say, Oh, God, I'm not doing any of those things at all. That's one side of it. Amen. 
Daniel was a righteous man, a godly man. He walked in victory. I believe you're walking in victory. I believe I'm walking in victory. I see that, and I rejoice the more and more the body of Christ is walking in victory throughout the earth. I see that. But I fear lest in this place of walking in victory we are not able to identify with that pit from whence we were digged. And so we leave behind us further and further, as one dear saint said to me some years ago. She said, I just cannot stand sinners. She said, I can't stand them in my house. I can't stand to talk to them on the street. I don't want them around me at all, because I don't want my thoughts distracted from Jesus. I remember some years ago, first God began to stir in my heart in a certain way, and I went out in this particular city in which I was pastoring, went door to door, Three or four or five people went with me and were having some good results. People were hearing the gospel. Someone told me there's no use preaching to anybody. We went over and had a Sunday school survey here one time, and either everybody is this denomination or that denomination, or they're not interested at all. I said, how long ago did you do that? Five years. You don't think anything's changed in five years? No, same town, same place, same soul. So we went door to door. We simply said to those people, do you know Jesus? They say, some of them say, well, no. What said to we know him, and we'd like to talk to you about the Lord Jesus. Now, I admit, that's, we could have come up with a lot better way of approaching people than that, pretty blunt. But some of them said, come on in, let's talk about it. So we invited them to church. Didn't know a whole lot about getting them to the Lord Jesus. We talked to them a little bit, but mostly our idea was to get them to church where they could hear a dynamic salvation sermon. That would sure get them saved. That's at least the way we thought about it. So these people responded to our invitation of love. And they got up and they came to church on a Sunday morning. And some of them had been drinking a little bit. They had a few nips from the Saturday night before. They had a bad headache and figured that'd be the way to get rid of it and take a couple and go to church. Then a couple of others, they'd been smoking heavy and some others had been doing different things and they came to church and came in. And one of my deacons came to me and said, Brother Nathan! I said, yes, what is it? These people? He said, you smell them? I said, what? What do you smell? He said, it smells like a brewery in here. Cigarette smoke, every place in this church. What's happening here? said to him later in a meeting, I said, I would to God this whole place smelled like a brewery on Sunday morning. There has something that can happen to us as saints when we were so involved in that kind of a world out there that we want to just pull away from it and say, oh no, I don't ever want to think about that anymore. But my prayer for you this year is this. That God begins to lay upon your heart a burden of intercession for the nations. That you begin to see that the reason why many of our Christian brothers and sisters maybe are being harassed and harangued and pressured and beaten and even killed may simply and really only be because we have not learned to properly lay ourselves before God. That we are so enraptured with the glorious thing of our Wonderful meetings, and they are wonderful. And I pray that they go on to be more and more wonderful. Enraptured with the wonderful times of coming together like this. Enraptured with the glorious and wonderful teaching that's coming forth. And amen. Because that's helped to bring the church together. Enraptured by the strong, dynamic evangelism that's happening. And we can watch powerful men raised up, preaching great evangelistic messages, and thousands are coming to Jesus. And that's right on. 
But I tell you for sure, the thing that is going to make the difference in the world is not whether one or two or five or 500 or 5,000 men go forth. My burden is this, that the church, you, the whole body of Christ throughout the earth, will begin to understand this message that God said to us. I will, first of all, that entreaties, prayers, intercessions be made for all men. For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a godly and quiet and peaceable life, all tranquility and dignity. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, who will have all men to be saved. Then the Bible tells us that I will that men should pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath or without doubt. Have you heard this message tonight? I wonder if you'd stand with me then as one group. Now I want to say this. I want to commend you because I know that it's been raining. And you precious saints have sat there and that dew of heaven has come down upon you and yet you stay there. You stay there because I see you hungry for God's Word, hungry for the Spirit, hungry for reality, hungry for direction, hungry for... Hungry for God. Hungry to see a world reached. Hungry to see this gospel preached in all the earth for a witness. Hungry to see the church unified. Hungry to see yourselves conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Hungry to see our Lord glorified. Hungry to see His name exalted throughout the earth. Hungry to see the work finished. I know that. 